Um, as interesting as my talk is going to be, um, I think you'll probably have a better time uh, with Melissa. So Melissa's at the back. Can it, kids, can you see uh, Melissa? She's waving at the back. Uh, you, you'll have a great time uh, with Melissa. Thank you, Melissa and the kids team. Don't you just love kids when they just, they're just running around, particularly mine, uh, <laughs> with no socks and shoes on? Um, it's great. Um, am, I, am, I, am I kind of ringy, echoey? Yes. I don't know what... Say, say that again. Yeah. Ringing. I'm ringing. I'm ringing. I'm ringing. Okay. All right. Well, um, well good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is, uh, is John, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm normally up here, here singing... Um, so, um, but it's great to be able to not do the singing and be able to bring you uh, God's message today. And I hope you've all recovered from, uh, from Snowvid uh, 21 um, and that you now have uh, water and power. Uh, and what a blessing it is to have those things in life again, like washing the dishes and, uh, and washing your clothes and uh, things that you, know, you take for granted. Um, but if you want to uh, follow along, uh, there's, there's some... Uh, we've, we've created these new uh, events uh, in the Version app. So if you have a phone with you and you have the Bible app, uh, then you can uh, follow along uh, the, the sermon on that. Uh, you just go to events and, um, and, and they'll be there. Or if you're, if you're at home and you're on your computer, you can go to uh, bible.com and uh, you can find uh, the event there. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, Brian asked me to, uh, to preach on what it means to live in godly community, uh, a.k.a. as well known as the church. I don't know about you, but I love the church. I love this family that I get to see every single week, and to know that this family isn't just here in this building, but it's all around the world, and that we can plug into it wherever we're at, Whatever country we find ourselves in, God is there and His church is there. It's incredible. And the faith family is there for you in your best moments and in your celebratory moments, in the highlights of your life, but also they can bring encouragement, share in grief in the lowest and darkest of times. Why? Why? Because that's what God does. He celebrates with us when we, when we give him the glory for the successes, but he also sees us in the dark places and shines his light on us to give us hope for the future. And the main point I want to make today is that a godly community is marked by love, commitment, and vulnerability, but above all, points to Jesus. So a godly community is marked by love, commitment, and vulnerability, but above all, points to Jesus. So before we get into today's message, let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that it was born in a move of your spirit at Pentecost. And Lord, we thank you that we get to follow in the footsteps of so many people that have gone before us, martyrs inspirational figures, heroes of the faith. And Lord, we, but there's only one person that is above 
every other name, and that is Jesus. And Lord, we want to live as a community that follows and seeks after you with everything that we have. And so, Lord, I pray that today's message would inspire us to do that and give us a passion uh, for living in a godly community. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this series is called Parables. So what is a parable? What is a parable? Well, it's the, uh, it's the comparison of two subjects for the purpose of teaching. It proceeds from the known to the unknown. It's an everyday story with a, with a spiritual meaning. Um, it is, as the Hebrews put it, a mashal or a riddle. Um, or a throwing together of a story to show the contrast and to always make, and I'm going to use Eddie's finger, one point, okay? So if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, Eddie was saying it was one way, uh, one point, and uh, so I'm going to use the finger again. So uh, there it is. Uh, Eddie, Eddie ridiculed me last week. I had a little bit, you know, I had to get back a little bit. Um, so... Anyway, and we do love each other, by the way, just FYI. We're not just making fun of each other for the sake of it. Um, but this, um, this teaching method of parables has enormous advantages. Um, we all know a good storyteller, right? We, we can all think of someone in our mind that is a really good storyteller, and you just want to sit and listen to them um, and tell story after story. Some of the stories are better than others, but... Um, well, Jesus was the master of the short story, of the parable. And today we're going to be focusing on Matthew's third discourse in chapter 13, uh, verses 24 to 30, which tells about uh, the parables uh, of the weeds, uh, but also uh, the parables of the kingdom, uh, which is what Matthew's discussing here in chapter 13. And the evidence of, of that Matthew is talking about uh, the parables of the kingdom is that he uses in this chapter alone seven parables, seven different parables. In the Jewish, uh, seven was the number of perfection, and, uh, and so I guess that's why he kind of went with, went with seven. That's the only reason I can think of uh, for, for that. But the, purpo- the purpose of parables, as Jesus explains uh, earlier, uh, kind of in this chapter, is uh, in verses 10 to 17, is to go against the religious teachings of the day, but also to create awe, wonder, and revelation amongst its hearers. You know, like a good storyteller tells, you know, it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat. That's kind of what Jesus was saying here. And isn't it much better to hear a story from someone um, and get some... Uh, you know, great, great kind of points from that rather than someone reciting boring texts because uh, we can all place ourselves in a story, right? We can imagine ourselves being there and imagine ourselves the ones going through the story with the storyteller. So what, I, what you would hope with a good story is that you, you get a good story, but also that there is solid and thought-provoking teaching uh, through that. And Jesus was the best at this. Now, I know how you like a good story, um, and the last time I preached, uh, some of you may remember uh, my hunting story um, from, uh, you know, the one with the speakers and the blinds that I thought were, uh, and the dove. Uh, anyway, well, this time I have a modern-day hunting parable for you, okay? Uh, so, you ready? 
Ready? Uh, so one person's ready. Everyone ready to hear it? Yeah. Amen. Yes, there you go. There's a little bit. You can use a bit of crowd participation here. All right. Okay, so um, <laughs> there were two grown men out on a hunting trip. One of these men had grown up in Texas. The other had not. The older of the two helped the younger one, who had not grown up in Texas, get ready for the hunt by equipping him with a flashlight, a walkie-talkie, a gun, binoculars, and some snacks because it was early uh, and the younger one was hungry. The younger one went to the deer blind uh, to wait for the deer, while the older one went back to the house to put wood on the fire and wait on the younger one because he had done enough hunting in his life. The younger one waited for the buck to come out, and eventually, just as the sun was rising, a big buck came out. He got his rifle ready, lined up his target, and boom! (laughs) Yeah, I didn't miss. Uh, (laughs) The younger man shot the buck, and the deer fell down right under the feeder. Smelling success, the younger man ran down the ladder towards the buck that was down. As he approached the deer, something seemed wrong. The deer was still breathing and moving. Ah, thought the younger man. What do I do? He asked himself. The younger man checked his pockets and realized that he didn't have a knife with him. So he looked all around at what he could find, and all he could find was a big log to knock the deer on the head. (laughs) (laughs) This is true, by the way. Uh, (laughs) The younger man hit the deer over the head with the log, but the noise from the deer got louder and louder. And in doing this, the younger man broke off one of the antlers on the buck. The buck was clearly in pain, and not knowing what else to do, the younger man got on his walkie-talkie and called the older man for help. The older man asked, You don't have a knife? Confused and slightly peeved, the older man made his way to the younger man, cut the buck's throat, put it out of its misery, loaded it on the mule, and went back to camp. When they got back, the older man said to the younger man, never forget your knife again. And to this day, the younger man always has a knife on him. (laughs) So, did you get the point there? Uh, There's one point uh, that you always carry a knife if you're hunting. Okay. So, yes, the uh, older man was my father-in-law, and the younger man was me. And so, uh, so, but uh, but as we look at this passage, and and that's just a bit of fun for you, uh, Matthew in this chapter groups those seven parables together for effectiveness and simplicity to further illustrate his point to his listeners. And today's focus, as I've already mentioned, is going to be on the parable of the weeds, and if you want to turn with me uh, or, or go on your phone to uh, Matthew chapter 13, and let's read that chapter um, starting at verse 24. 
So verse 24. And this is reading from the uh, extremely safe version, uh, which you'll see ESV in the corner. Uh, sorry, it means English Standard, sorry. Um, so he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." Jumping to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So what does this passage mean? This second parable, which Matthew's describing, um, or sorry, which Jesus told them, is wrestling with the problem of why evil is so persistent in the world that is supposed to be the kingdom of God. Normally, this parable is explained as applying to the church, in which true and false believers coexist until the final judgment. But this doesn't quite cut it for me, um, because... When Jesus was saying this and telling this parable, um, the church wasn't even established yet. So how can you be talking about uh, true and false believers when the church wasn't even established? And later on in, in verse 38 where he's explaining, we are told that the field is the world and that the field belongs to the sower. Who is the sower? Jesus. And he he sows in it sons of the kingdom. But the evil one encroaches on it, and the sons of the evil one will be weeded out of the kingdom in due course. So in other other words, the world belongs to God as king, and the kingdom movement that Jesus is initiating is the restoration and establishment of that rule of the king. Does that make sense? We can choose, and we can choose to be a part of that restoration of God's kingdom or not. And Jesus invites us, you and I, again and again, to be a part of establishing God's rule and reign, not just in our lives, but on this whole earth. And so what's his rescue plan? What's his rescue plan for for this world, the glorious bride, the church. 
That's his rescue plan. That is his primary vehicle for bringing about the purposes of the kingdom. So for those of you who are members of this faith family, we're the rescue plan. That's pretty scary, isn't it? (laughs) You know? But not as scary as what Jesus mentions in verses 40 to 43, where the weeds are going to be burned up. God is going to remove the weeds from the earth. And in the end, evil will not exist because Jesus has the victory. So just like when uh, the business that I work for uh, goes and sprays weeds, they die, hopefully, (laughs) Uh, so that the good grass can grow. But left untended, the weeds grow stronger and harsher. Now, one of the hardest weeds to, that we come across is our old favorite. And you've, there's a picture of it right there. It's kind of pixelated, but um, it's a grass burr. Uh, anyone ever got one of those in your foot? Uh, yeah, everyone will probably be experiencing those in the next, uh, next few months. Hopefully not. So those of you grow hay. But, um, okay, let's talk about the grass burr for a minute. Um, a grass burr or sand burr or sticker um, has thorns on its exterior, as you can see on the picture. But inside there, there's two little seeds. And when it rains, those seeds inside there are activated. And then the process of germination uh, begins and produces the grass burr, the weed. Uh, this really is a spiritual metaphor, just FYI. And uh, so the only way to stop the grass burr is to put a pre-emerge product annually, sometimes quarterly, on it, killing the seed before it has a chance to grow. And we are getting a lot of calls on this right now. That's probably why I've, I've been thinking about it all week. But, um, but, um, but grass burrs, those, those little things can be as deep, those seeds can be as deep as six feet underground. And they can lay dormant for years. All it needs is just a little bit of moisture, the right amount of moisture to get to it, and it can activate it. So flipping this around and and kind of making it about, for us, for some of us, we have some, let let me backtrack. This is a problem for for hay growers, uh, particularly for grass growers, because um, they want their cattle to be able to eat the grass. And, and as we know with, with weeds, they just they take over and, uh, and the good grass uh, stops growing. You want to have, uh, obviously, more good grass growing. But for some of us, we have some unhealthy emotional and spiritual seeds that are buried deep down, like the grass burr that could be six feet down. And we've allowed things in our lives to grow weeds. And they've, they've taken over our lives. And so what pre-emerge products can we use in our lives? The scripture that tells the truth about who you are in Christ. That you are a son and you are a daughter of the King. There's prayer. People praying for you. Praying over you. Worship. 
community. And the thing is, is why do we do this? Because God wants to heal us. He wants to heal us. We just have to choose to say, okay, yes, Lord, I, I, I accept that. I want, I want to be healed. But for some of us, we don't, we don't ever reach that point. We just carry on letting the weeds grow. And we become more and more toxic in our behavior and in our, in our responses to people. You know, how many of you believe that God wants to heal you? I mean, yeah, we got a, yeah, we got some hands at the back. Yes, God really does. And why does He want to heal us? So that we can be an effective witness in our community, in our in our faith family, but also to those outside Amen. of this building. And so, what does godly community? look like to you? I ask you that question. What does godly community look like to you? For me, it looks like love. Love. And that's my first point, is that godly community is marked by its love for one another. A week or so ago, there was a Facebook post uh, for the Thought for the Day on the, on the First Baptist Church Mason Facebook page, and it was this, uh, I think there's a picture of it, that the church should be famous for its love. The church should be famous for its love. What is this church famous for? What do you want this church, this faith family, to be famous for? I want it to be that. Love. No matter where you come from, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what you believe, that you experience love. That's what we should be famous for. That's what we should be about. Because we should love to worship God. We should love to pray. We should love to meditate on scriptures. We should love the lost, love the brokenhearted, love our elders, love the children, love the young people, love the traditionalists, love the progressives. When we begin to take our attention off of ourselves and onto loving God and loving one another, inside and outside of this building, the weeds have no chance to grow. Absolutely no chance. But it starts with us in here. And I've had the privilege this week of being out, like the last couple of weeks, to be able to share that love with, with the Martin family. Like we've had Thane, he's had brain surgery. It wasn't for, to alter his brain, uh, but, it, but uh, uh, you know, he's had an extensive surgery. And then, and then Kelly's brother. And being able to share in the grief and in the pain of the, that moment. Because why? Because we love them. Because they're our family. And that's what we're about. We're about loving one another. What Eddie mentioned last week about, um, you know, the, the food, the meals. That's because we love people. That's it. That's all it is. It's pretty simple. But secondly, godly community takes commitment and vulnerability. Last week, Eddie said that salvation is free, discipleship costs. 
And in the same way, community takes commitment and vulnerability. So think about this for a moment. You know, when we hear that word commitment, some of us run towards that and love that. Others of us just cringe and are like, no, not me. Um, but if you want to see your, the change in your life, in a family member's life, in this community, you have to commit. And particularly pursuing this commitment when you don't want to, right? You know, when you don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood today. I can't deal with church people today. Right? We've all felt that. I mean, yeah, exactly. But what does commitment to a community look like to you? Is it daily? Twice a week? Once a week? Once a month? Twice a year? God is calling you and I into so much more. And we have to make a decision to commit. It makes it easier when we figure out our role and our purpose uh, in the kingdom of God. And I'll ask you that question. Have you discovered that yet? What is, what is my role? What is my role? Do I just soak it up like a sponge and just don't do anything with it? Am I just an observer? Or am I going to get involved? And a couple of ways that you can discover that is, is by getting into a life group or serve on one of the ministry teams. And if you don't know it, if you, but if you make a commitment, I guarantee you that the leader of that ministry, they're going to figure it out pretty quick for you. Okay? So, but the thing is, is we've got to just make that decision to commit. And when we're in community, especially ones trying to seek the Lord together and live for Him, learning to become vulnerable with one another is part of putting your trust in Jesus, but also in those around you. And there's been times on Sunday mornings that, um, and it happened again today, um, in our life group, where one person is vulnerable, and they've shared a struggle or a celebratory moment, and it changes the complete dynamic of the group. Because what it does is it says, okay, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay that I don't have it all together. It's okay that I'm not perfect. And... And that's okay. But that's what happens when we do life together. And in the right context, vulnerability becomes a strength. So sharing our lives is messy and it's not easy. Because it's easier not to, right? It's easier not to let people in. But like discipleship, it takes time and sacrifice. But I promise you, when you commit to Jesus and to this faith family or another church, you'll see a difference. And lastly, a godly community keeps the focus on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The reason we're here is Jesus. The motivation to reach the lost is Jesus. The reason we worship is is Jesus. The reason we love one another is Jesus. The reason we get saved is Jesus. A church that is focused on Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, knowing that he died for each and every single one of you inside this building and outside this building, 
and sharing it with our words and sharing it with our actions, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that someone else may have the same hope that we are living for. Do you have hope today? Do you have faith in Jesus today? And I pray that it is and that you do. And so what do you want to be known for? What do you personally want to be known for? Do you want to be known as, oh, he's a good guy, or she's a great person? Or do you want someone to say about you? Do you want more than, than just the, oh, it's okay, the average? Do you want someone to say about you, this person changed my life because they introduced me to Jesus? This person loved me and I found Jesus. That's what I want to be about. That's what I want everyone to be about is loving Jesus and loving other people because there's nothing more important. Jesus even says it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. That's what it's about. And John Stott, who was a, a theologian, a British theologian, uh, he'd, he'd written all these books, he'd written commentaries and uh, preached all these sermons throughout his lifetime. And a, and a uh, journalist asked him at the end of his life, or c- coming towards the end of his life and his ministry, said, What's, you, you know, you've preached all these sermons and all this stuff, and what would you say is the most important thing to you that you would want to communicate? What have, what have you learned the most? And he said to love God, and love people. That's it. Love God and love people. I would add love life to that because I, I do love life. But And so, do you want to change your life? Come to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus in a real and meaningful way, give your life to Him today, this morning. Don't delay. Be vulnerable. And for some of you, I felt like there was this word that just said it's time. It's time. It's time to let go. It's time to come to Him. Do you want to change the world? Not in the way that some people in the, in the media are saying. But do you want to change the world for Jesus? I know I do. And I want as many people as possible to join in that mission. And if you do, then I... I, I pray about it, but join this community of be- believers as we seek to become more like Jesus and see others come to know him and be radically changed to further, mis- further the mission of God. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You've been there, you've done that, you've got the t-shirt and the mug. But God still has things for you to do in the church. It may be blessing or giving to younger families in the church or younger individuals. It could be mentoring, spiritually mentoring individuals. It may be that you need renewing in your passion for Jesus and in the gospel. But don't stand on the sidelines anymore. Don't just watch it go by. Get involved. Because Nothing, and I mean nothing, is more important than Jesus. Nothing. So stop making excuses. It's time.
because Jesus is the king and he's going to be king for eternity. And whether we, it takes some of us longer to get that, <laughs> but believe me, he's going to reign and he's going to rule forever and ever. And we, I want to get done, I want to get on that train as soon as possible because I'm like, let's go, Lord, let's go. And I want to see, I want to see lots of people come to know him. And I hope you have the same heart too. And so I go back to my main point. That a godly community is marked by love, commitment, and vulnerability, but above all, points to Jesus. And there's going to be uh, some ways that you respond. And if there's something that today you want to make a decision for yourself, or for this community, or for this faith family, you're like, it's time. It's time for me to get involved. It's time for me to stop being on the sidelines. It's time for me to renew my passion in Jesus. Like, you've got to make yourself vulnerable. And, people, and if we're a community marked by love, then we are not going to judge people. And so, we're going to take a moment, and in a moment we're going to stand, and I'm just going to, we're just going to pause because often in our life we don't have a moment where we just reflect. And let's really think about where we're at. And God can speak to you. There's nothing special about the front here. We just invite people here because it's maybe encouraging for other people to see that I'm not the only one. But God can meet you right where you're at, right in the, in the pew where you are, or the nice comfy seats at the back. But he can meet us here. So let's stand. And let's just, just close our eyes and, and we're going to wait. And we're going to wait on the regular song that we normally do during this time. Because I'm going to give everyone a chance to respond. And so I'm, we're just going to be quiet for, it might seem like an eternity, but I'm just going to let, let us be quiet and just think about where you're at with Jesus today. Lord, I thank you that you move by the power of your Holy Spirit.
And I pray right now for people that those words, it's time. I pray that they would make that decision in their heart right now. Lord, I pray for the community changes, the world changes. I pray that you would give them a, a boldness and a passion for your name. I pray that you'd rise that up now in them. And Jesus, for those people that have been Christians a long time and have, have been there, done that, Lord, I pray that you'd renew their faith and their passion for your church and the love for the people inside it and the people outside of it. And we would all be of one accord, pulling in the same direction, and that is pointing towards you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name, Lord. And if you want to come down the front, or if you want to stay where you're standing and just let the Lord minister to you, I'll be here. Brian will be here. And if you want to talk and you want us to pray for you and you want to make a decision today, then come.
that transcends all understanding because Lord God you are love and we have received that love and we want to go and give it away to a a broken and dying world that need hope today and Lord I pray that today each person here would be a light and a hope to someone that they meet It may be a friend, it may be a co-worker, it may be a family member, but Lord, I pray that we'd be people of hope and people of love. Because Jesus, that's what you were, and that's what we want to be. So thank you for every single person here, every family that is represented here, and we pray that we would go in the power and love of your spirit. And we ask all these things. In the precious and powerful and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone. Darkness, we were waiting.